0: 88.3 WGT's After Further Review We've been in the studio the last two weeks Back into the studio this week But we're doing a little bit of a recording before we get back in the studio With one of our main guests NBA guru, basketball guru Travels all over the place so he's always a busy man But he always makes out time for us here on 88.3 WT's After Further Review It's the coach, Darren Cone Welcome Darren to the, back to the show, it's been a while
1: What's up, Darren? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's been a while. I haven't been able to get in the lab because everything's been shut down.
0: <laughs> you can tell me about it, Darren. You got to get it in where you can get it in. And either if it's a park or, you know, an old janky gym, as long as the kids are getting in their reps, that's how you try to get it in, huh?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and now that some of the sports are starting to... Uh get back in the flow and NBA playoffs have started and that kind of thing. Hopefully we'll start to transition back to some sort of normalcy with sports. But in 2020, you just never know. It's the, it's the year of the, of the surprise grab bag. Remember I used to go to sports card shows as a as a as a teenager and you know, you could buy the cards or they'd have the they'd have the two dollar grab bag and you paid two dollars and you took a brown paper bag and you opened it up and you didn't have no idea what was gonna be in it. Could be good, could be bad, you know, could be the old whammy and that's sort of the way two thousand twenty's been, man. It's been a little bit of a grab bag. You don't know what's coming next. But happy to see the, uh, the the orange pumpkin back on the hardwood bouncing, even if it is in the bubble, the billion dollar bubble down in Orlando.
0: So I, we know that you've been you know, connected with the NBA either through the G League or actually doing direct scouting. Um, how did they really pull this off? Because originally, before the NBA started this, I, I'm pretty sure you're familiar with this, they did this through the TBT, the basketball tournament, and it was a sure success. So when you saw that, were you pretty sure that this bubble was going to work for the NBA?
1: Well, certainly wasn't sure because the TBT was a, such a smaller – and shorter entity. Um, but you know, the NBA is a scenario where they had unlimited resources. So they were able to, you know, make sure financially there wasn't going to be any, any gaps, but you just never know what, what's going to work. And, 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 in theory, I mean, it still hasn't been proven that it's going to be a hundred percent successful because they could have a breakout at any day, but so far it's been, it's been perfect and, and, and uh, been able to, for the most part, keep the, the bubble contained and, and handle all the food and entertainment and housing and practices and games uh, with with limited distractions and limited people coming in and out and um, so you know I think it I think they got to be a really proud and, and a huge success and uh, Adam Silver and his crew and his team I mean they, they, they turned it out relatively quickly when you think about um, all the planning that goes into a large event like that and and fortunately Disney and Wide world of sports was available, and those awesome facilities. So, um, you know, it's it's been it's been neat to watch. Obviously, it's a little different. A lot of people have uh, have uh, compared it somewhat to NBA Summer League, and I completely agreed when it first started. But now that the playoffs have kicked off, I mean, it's been uh, teams are guarding, teams are competing, and it's been it's been a lot of fun. Now that we first, now we finally got to the actual playoffs of the of the ordeal.
0: Yeah, I I thought that was a little unfair to say. It's like the NBA Summer League. To an extent, it is because obviously in the NBA Summer League, you're playing. You're in one location in Las Vegas, um, and you play at the Thomas and Mack Center. And I forget what the other. Isn't it two gyms in the Thomas and Mack Center? And then another gym down the street, right? Because you've been in the Summer League a lot. Yeah,
1: they're 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 connected. I mean, it's basically there's a, there's a, the UNLV. Arena, yes. and then there's the, uh, the the gym on the backside, which is like a, a traditionally an event center.
0: Okay. Yeah, and and I, and I thought, what was your your, your thoughts on the on the, the the first eight games? I think the what was really intriguing, and I don't know, maybe the NBA might adapt to this. Was this is the first time that i actually was kind of excited about who was fighting for the ac that now that was only in the west the east some of those teams i don't know shouldn't have you know been really like the capitals or not the capitals but the wizard really didn't have nothing to play for so i don't know why they kind of invited them but like devin booker and in the suns and the grizzlies and the blazers that was just a really good epic you know interest what did you think about that
1: yeah, I mean, to be honest, that was the only uh, appeal to the initial eight games because, like I said, it was a bit like Summer League where every team had their own objectives. So the teams that were one, two, three seed per se, you know, they weren't playing their guys and they were being more sensitive to the injuries and sitting and resting people and playing them less minutes. But those people uh, at the end, I mean, it was sort of like that playoff mentality I and mean, they were competing to get in and, you know, and, and Phoenix had such an awesome run, winning eight straight and then it, uh, and then just, you know, still came up a little short. So, you know, that was, that was a, a pretty neat scenario, um, uh, you know, but, uh, but yeah, it, it was, it was a little, little different, you know, cause every team, I think summer leagues like that because some teams, Um, you know they're trying to look at the rookies and some teams that you know they don't play their draft picks other teams do play their draft picks some teams are trying to look at their second year guys to see if they're trying to uh, keep them or move them or trade them so every team in summer league has a little bit of a different agenda and that's how I felt that first eight games was because a couple of the teams were trying to play the young guys give them experience some of the teams were trying to get their team into shape Um, Mm -hmm. you know and there was other teams who were competing for their lives so um so yeah it was fun and and uh, you know Portland really got it going with, with Lillard and uh, but neat to see uh, the Booker scenario cuz the Booker scenario with or the Phoenix Suns winning 8 in a row that's going to have some interesting implications because um you know if they didn't make the playoffs this year he was a hot target for trade bait um, and some of the teams that are at the top of the lottery are really interested in him. Um, but now that they you kind of showed their management and ownership that, hey, man, we, we, we went out on a high road. Not only did they win 10 straight, but before the shutdown, um, they really finished the season winning 10 out of their last 11. So, you know, that that kind of changes your mindset of, hey, we need to blow up the ship and uh, or, or do something different as opposed to, hey, maybe we finally – Got, got over the hump or got to the precipice of getting over the hump. So I think it makes any type of uh, internal changes with the Phoenix Suns much different. Uh, not not to get off the playoffs and talk about the draft already, but but yeah, so I thought that was interesting in the first eight games. And I'm so excited that the playoffs have begun now that teams are defending and guarding and competing and, and getting after it. And, um, you know, it's been some good series here early on with uh, the first two games.
0: Now, there were some, like, guys um that have, that have had some I guess breakout bubble games, obviously Booker, but Booker was kind of already doing that before the bubble. But um, you know, the guy in Indiana getting a couple fifty point games. I mean, but some people were saying he was getting buckets long before <laughs> before that. Um, but was the bucket was the bubble kind of like helping some players out to where maybe if they didn't play in the bubble, they wouldn't have had the breakout games? You you think? Yeah.
1: You know, I don't, I don't know uh, if I completely agree with that. I mean, I think what, what happened was um, that because it was all in one location and because there hadn't been sports for months –
0: TJ Warren. Much- yeah, Warren, yeah, TJ Warren, my bad, yeah.
1: Yeah, sure. It was much more under the microscope. Like Warren had had big games and that kind of thing. But ever since Paul George left, you know, the Indiana Pacers get like almost no media coverage. Right, you know, they've become like a non-media market. So the, you know, the fact that the games were being played all day long and everybody was getting pretty much the same pub and run, um, you know, I just think it got magnified. I mean, he, you know, he's a nice player. He's not a household name, you, you know, but that sort of made him a household name because it was constant media attention at first. Uh, four or five days of, of the uh, bubble. You know, in, in some instances, we were talking offline about AAU, and, and it's sort of like the same type of deal. Um, if if you, you can change your whole uh, projectile of your future as a high school player, if you have one good weekend, at one good three-day tournament, uh, you know, one of the big tournaments where mm-hmm. there's a you know billion coaches and scouts and eyes there. And that's sort of the effect that that had with Warren. I mean, he was having a nice season, but he had two huge games in the same week When uh, when all the media coverage was there in the bubble. So, you know, kind of needs Just just shows you how uh, how exposure can really, really change things, take you from an unknown uh, to a phenomenon, literally in minutes.
0: Yeah, like I said, it was totally, you know, a lot of guys were like, who's this guy? I mean, he's playing really well. And it's like, well, he's been, you know, him and Butler had it gotten into it earlier in the year but like you said now that everyone's in the bubble everyone's getting the equal coverage and by the way it is kind of weird to see an nba game on at one o'clock in the afternoon on a wednesday
1: yeah they're just playing them all day long right back to back to back from one court to the other
0: well yeah Uh, Now is it two court it's two different courts right
1: Correct, correct. It's two different courts, and it's much like Summer League again, where they're just adjoining buildings that are connected and that kind of thing.
0: Okay, that's, that, that's what I thought. So the regular season's over, basically, what they're doing, and now we're getting into the playoffs. And I guess the first one we'll talk about is the Blazers. Upset, game one, obviously. Game two, eh, kind of a flop. But your thoughts on this one, where the Lakers just look totally flat in the first game, and then man, the second game really turned it up, basically. I don't think they took them seriously in the first game.
1: Well, um, you know, I don't know if it wasn't taking them seriously. It's just the Portland came out and threw the first punch. And this is going to be a really, really interesting series because the Lakers have, you know, two of the best five players in the world. Um, however, right now, due to injuries and people opting out and that kind of thing, they don't have any guards. No. and you know. There's the old adage that defense wins championships, but in the playoffs or in the NCAA tournament or in the postseason, with two minutes to go in the game, guards win. And and the Lakers don't have any guards. They don't have anyone who can apply pressure. They don't have anyone who can break down the defense when they have to get to the bait and get fouled or get a bucket. And Portland does, and Portland's got... You know, good big men play, they got great shooters around the perimeter, and they got, you know, a, a bona fide assassin that leads their team. Um, so, you know, the 1-8 seed, you know, <laughs> you know it's uh, the fact that Portland had to work so hard to get into the playoffs. You know, I think Portland's biggest deal is they don't have a whole lot of depth or a bench, but when it comes down to two minutes in a the game, they got two guards that can go get a bucket at any time. They got bigs that can defend around the rim and get offensive putbacks and that kind of thing. So Portland is just an extremely dangerous team. Um, You know, you can never bet against uh, the Lakers when they have two of the best players, you know, ever. And certainly two of the top five probably in the world right now. But I'm telling you, it's a huge Achilles heel right now not having Bradley and Rondo and that kind of thing. Because they just don't have that guard play down the stretch. So the Lakers, I don't want to say they're in trouble, but they should be slightly nervous.
0: Yeah, and, and I totally agree with you. You don't know what you're going to ex- expect from Dion Waiters, especially he's not got a lot of playoff experience. J.R. Smith, let, let's be honest, you know, where the role he's at right now is not bad. Obviously, he's lost some of his skill because he's gotten older. <laughs> yeah, both, both, both of those two guys are catch
1: and shoot role players. You know, they're they're both they're both catch and shoot role players. One dribble pull up guys. I mean, they can make buckets, but they can't handle the pressure and break down the defense and, and, and apply pressure with their ball handling and, the, and attacking downhill, neither one of them have that. So it's just, it's, a, it's a, you know, they're spot up guys, put them off the ball for the most part. I mean, you know, they're obviously they're, they're pros, so they can handle a little bit, but not what I'm talking about with with two minutes to go in the game and it's a it's a guard ma- matchup battle. I mean, yeah, those guys those
0: guys are not that. No, 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 they're not going to they're not going to match up with McCollum even with even with a fracture back in Dean Dollar. That's that's not going to happen. Plus, J.R. Smith has shown in pressure moments to pull the ball out and not go for a shot at the end of a game too. So. <laughs> uh, that, that That's something that you, you kind of have to worry about with him as well. <laughs> well but, yeah, you're right. Losing Rondo with ex- extreme playoff experience, even though he's older, and then Avery Bat- Bradley as well, uh, who can play some defense, uh, that 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 will kind of hurt them. Another one, another 1-8 matchup where the one team lost was the Bucks, But then they came back in game two and pretty put it to the Magic. Was it just one of those games where the Magic kind of, snuck up on the bucks and then the bucks said all right guys let, let's get this together
1: i mean you know that's more of a probably a better example where, where maybe the bucks were didn't come out ready to play and uh you know orlando put them on their heels and then kept running but um you know in the nba i mean all these guys are pros and everyone can play and and you know the fans, i know they've tried to do a lot of different things but there's no home court advantage um right now so it's just a neutral game and you got to go lace them up and come ready to play and you know, Magic's, Magic's got some players too. I mean, uh, you know, they they had, when you get a 50 plus point outing, I mean, that's always uh, hard to overcome. But, um, you know, I think Milwaukee is by far the superior team in terms of talent, in terms of depth, and also in terms of coaching. Um, but, you know, you got to show up each and every night, and they did not show up in game one. So that was probably the biggest surprise of all the games so far early on in the playoffs was that first smack in of Milwaukee. But, you know, you're right, they bounced back and answered the call.
0: Yeah, and I, I, I kind of actually – Orlando's got a pretty decent team. I mean, I don't think it's good enough to beat the Bucks, but at least they're good enough to to watch a little bit, especially with uh, Fourier, Fourier and Vucevic. Uh, Folt's trying to come back around, but I think he'll just be another average uh, NBA player. And uh, I know Augustine doesn't start, but DJ Augustine coming off the bench is a little bit of a spark plug for them.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's a tough guy who's won at all levels, high school, college, and pro, and he's just, you know, he's a veteran, and, um, you know, he's he's a nice player. I've actually known him since he was probably about 16 years old, and he just wow. competes. He brings it every day.
0: Yeah, he used to play for the Texas Longhorns. Did you know that he got all his points at the free throw line? He was 10 of 10. Nice,
1: I did not know that.
0: Yeah, last night, or the night on Thursday night, that that was pretty good. So then we move on to some more of uh, playoff action. What are your what are your thoughts on Rockets and Thunder? 2 old, the Rockets are up and it's it's a it's a rematch between basically uh, Russell Westbrook and his old Thunder squad and he got traded for Chris Paul who's playing against the Rockets who he played for last season.
1: Sure. So, um this is an interesting series because honestly so far in the playoffs with um you know basically two games in I don't think any team has looked too dominant or too great overall, uh, but I think the Houston Rockets have actually looked the best. And that almost pains me to say that because uh, the Houston Rockets are probably my least favorite team to watch in the playoffs. I just, I don't really like their style of how they play, and I don't really like how they're coached. And I don't think that style can win the, the uh, championship overall, but if I'm just being objective and honest, they have been the best team so far in the first two two games of the playoffs, in my opinion. I mean, they've looked really good. Mm-hmm. They've handled, they pretty much handled a, a really solid Oklahoma team that's had a great year, and Chris Paul's really had a resurgence and really led that team um, to probably overachieve based on expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, and Houston, you know, they put up no resistance for Houston. It's not the greatest matchup for Oklahoma City, but I thought it would be a little bit of a, of of more of a battle but Houston has looked really good in the first two games but there's a lot of teams that look really good in the first round of the playoffs and then when it gets down to that final four teams you know then then there's really a separation of championship level teams or contenders and pretenders I think we talked about last year
0: Mm -hmm. do you think though with with the time off this kind of was in the favor of the Rockets because that's been what really hurt Harden is that you know they do a lot of that ball dominant offense he takes a lot of shots takes a lot of beating. And then by the second round, you could tell he's running out of gas. But now, you didn't have about two or three months off. He's refreshed up, and you're going kind of, you know, you got your little eight playing games to get you a little bit of a rhythm. Now you're jumping into the playoffs because, you know, Harden looks fresh. This might help yep. them this year. This this coronavirus bubble thing might help the Rockets.
1: There's no there's no doubt that there's some legs to that. I mean, these guys are fresh. Harden's fresh. Westbrook's healthy. Um, you know, now they're going to have to bang out a bunch of games in a row with less rest than normal in the playoffs. But, yeah, they've been they've been sitting. So it's like really almost like darn near starting the season fresh. Um, so that's definitely going to help them. But at the end of the day, when you get down to trying to win a championship, at some point, you got to play some defense. And it can't be uh, P.J. Tucker being the only tough, gritty guy on the floor. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see it. it uh, the, you know, they look really, really good so far.
0: The shocker has been Jeff Green, who has been a, a very talented player. Unfortunately, had you know the heart issues. He had 15 the other night. He's been looking good in both games one and two as well.
1: Yeah, no, you know, another guy that makes shots, and when when, when you got someone that makes shots, it always uh, always makes you look good, right? And he, he can catch and shoot and knock it down.
0: I will I will tell you this: uh, the, the st- if they keep getting this balanced scoring, look at this. Tucker had 14, Covington had 10, House had 19. Gordon had 15 and Harden had 21. Uh, Jeff Green had 15 off the bench. Ben McElmore had six. And then Austin Rivers had 11. I, I think if they keep getting that full balance, I don't know how consistently they can do that. They probably could go far in the playoffs this year.
1: Sure. There's no doubt about it.
0: I mean, but that usually that's kind of the obvious with any other team. Another one from Thursday, Heat Pacers. This has <laughs> kind of been an interesting one as well. Um, the Heat ended up winning that at one one hundred nine one hundred, and that's another team that looks like that. After the 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 break, they look a lot more fresh, and it looks like they're playing a little bit better basketball as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, oh, yeah, you know, one thing I meant to say before we got off of Houston is, man, I think they could they could really uh, use Clint Capella right now. I really liked him; and I thought he would be a big difference maker for them. But in terms of Heat Pacers. Honestly, I think this has been the best series so far. I mean, I, obviously, it's early when you say a series two games, but I think I think that Heat, heat Pacers have been the most competitive series so far. Unfortunately, neither one of them can win the championship. They're just neither one of them are, are good enough this year. Um, but but this is going to be a, a heck of a series so far. And Indiana actually had the higher seed, and Miami's you know come in and smacked the first two. Um, you know Jimmy Butler's done. You know pretty much always what he does. But you got to love the 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 uh, underdog story of these. Um, oh. What's my man's name? The D three player that went to Michigan. Duncan. Duncan. Yeah. Duncan uh, Robinson. Uh, Dun- he, Duncan he had twenty
0: four. He had twenty four the other night.
1: Yeah, he made seven threes, a, a franchise playoff record. Um, when well, you talk about a, a franchise that's had the likes of Ray Allen and and uh, Glenn Rice and you know some really big time shooters over the years. And, uh, and I believe I saw that that was a franchise playoff record, seven threes. Duncan Robinson started off D3, then ended up playing at Michigan, and then actually played for one of my former employers in the NBA D-League, the Sioux Falls Skyforce, Force, and, uh, and now is just, you know, a huge contribution to uh, for the Miami Heat, and you know, I, I was listening to a podcast yesterday, and says, you know, if you, you got a guy in the NBA that's got to take a shot, you want Robinson taking the shot. And I mean, he just he's really, really good at getting his shot off, and he's become um, not just a catch and shoot threat where he can put it on the dribble a little bit and he can make plays for others. So it's been been fun to kind of see that story. And and uh, you know, four or five matchup is usually pretty evenly balanced, but so far the five has sort of owned it.
0: Yeah, there they have. Now I'm trying to think. I think we've pretty much done that bracket. We'll go over to some of the other team games where it's, it's kind of weird, though, without them doing everything with, uh, uh, I guess, today we'll, we'll look at this matchup, the Raptors and Nets. How you be having, how you be like that one?
1: Yeah, it's kind of been boring so far. I mean, I, I love both teams. The and
0: Nets just, are terrible. I mean, yeah, even, the, the Nets, <laughs>
1: the, the Nets with, with all the injuries and that kind of thing, I mean, honestly, they're just the, like the worst team in the playoffs. They really are. They are. Uh, the, the worst team that's actually still left. And Toronto, <laughs> Toronto Toronto's so interesting because they're so well coached and they are just tough as nails and they flat out defend. Um, you know, I just love how they play together and they defend and. Um, it's just uh, you know a lot of times when you got the NBA critics, they say you know I like college better because it's more of a team game and that kind of thing. Well, the well, Toronto is is um, the NBA's best example of the team game, both on both ends of the floor, and they really they really are doing a great job. And Kyle Lowry, as a seasoned veteran, just continues. He's, I mean, he's almost like he's getting better. And uh, yeah. Van Fleet has been awesome. You know, Van Fleet, a guy again who was in the G League a couple of years ago with the uh, with the Toronto nine hundred five, mm-hmm. win a championship in the NBA G League for Jerry Stackhouse, and mm-hmm. and now he's, you know, he, he's a, he's becoming a, a bona fide, um, you know, stars print out the word, but he's just a legit, solid
0: solid yeah, NBA a, player.
1: A legit, yeah. He's not he's not a guy collecting a check. I mean, he can play. <laughs> I mean, you know, another guy that just makes open shots and puts a little pressure on the defense and makes tough, gritty plays, takes charges, jumps on the floor for loose balls. Uh, Wichita State grad. Uh, he, I mean, they This series is so boring because Brooklyn's so bad, but Toronto's going to be fun to watch here as this moves forward.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's not fair, and I and I realized during the bubble that Kyle Lowry is a very underrated uh, point guard that's kind of slept on. But you're right, without Kyrie, without Durant, Spencer. Spencer Din- Dinwiddie decided not to come because of the coronavirus. They and, maybe, they,
1: and they and they fired their coach a couple of weeks before the shutdown. Right, Jacques Vaughn yeah. is.
0: Nah, I think Jock Vaughn is doing the best he can with the team he's got. But <laughs> l- l- let's let's be honest. You know, this is this is <laughs> this is pretty bad. I like I like think that Karis Lavert playing very well. Um, a guy that wasn't highly recruited and has had a really great season. I think that's the only great storyline you're coming out with the Nets. But for think-
1: sure, he—he's actually when you spoke earlier about, um, you know, the, the breakout guys in the bubble, Levert it would probably be top of the list, even over T.J. Warren. I mean, Levert, you know, again, the team's so bad, but he's played really, really well.
0: Yeah, and and the story with the Raptors is, can they win the championship without Kawhi? That—that—that's pretty much what it is. So you're right, though, this, that, that that this series has been the sleeper series. Now, another good series is the Jazz and the D-Nugs tied up at 1-1. Yeah,
1: you know, and again, two really well-coached teams. I mean, both these guys, they're, they're not like your, 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 your name coaches and that, but they just get a lot out of their team. I love both teams. I mean, Donovan Mitchell is one of my favorite players in the NBA when I talk about just individual players. he just competes and he can do everything really well Um, and then you know Toronto or uh, sorry Utah you know they're kind of interesting I mean people don't talk about Rudy Gobert that much um, but there's really no one else in the NBA that's exactly like him I mean he's a he's sort of a unique enigma Um, you know Hassan Whiteside you know does some of those things but Gobert is just a different dude around the rim of how he can protect the rim and how he you know just finishes everything within two feet so um, you know they're a fun team, and uh, and and they got you know a lot of a lot of things going for them. And then you know I love Denver because you know the, the Jokic is the, is probably the most skilled big man in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And um, you know it's not very often anymore that you know you, your your team is built around your big, but he he looks, truly is you know the star of their team. And then they got some great guards and Jamal Murray and and, and company around them. And I love. I love uh, uh, my favorite guy off the bench in the NBA is Denver Nuggets, Monty Morris, number 11. He's the backup point guard, but he might be the most efficient player in the NBA in terms of assist to turnover and uh, efficiency of his plus minus and making shots. And so he's probably my favorite reserve in the league. So I always love watching, watching Denver play. I mean, that's a, that's a really fun series because either one of them teams could win and go on. And either one of them teams could compete to to win in the next round as well.
0: This here's the question with you, and this is and this is was <clears throat> the difference between the playing games and the playoffs. Everybody was talking about Bull Bow you know, the son of a new Bull, and then in the playoffs, he got four minutes.
1: Yeah, he's more of just a, a, a media hype story right now. I mean, he's not a he's <laughs> not a player yet, man. He's not. A, he, he's he's uh yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, he's just not a player yet.
0: Because <laughs> remember, remember, think about two weeks ago when this all first started, two weeks ago, two to three weeks ago, Bowl had a really good game, and everybody, mm-hmm. even the TNT uh, squad, was talking about Bowl Now, obviously, Kenny and Shaq and, and – well, I don't know about – well, Shaq might have. Shaq and Barkley played against his father, rest his soul. So I can understand them kind of getting a little hyped about the dude. But he's one that's really kind of faded off. Just like...
1: Yeah, that always reminds me of like... uh, When there's a kid at the really good high school program. And he transfers to the... To the small school league, and everyone's like, "Oh, he's gonna be so good, and he's gonna dominate." And he's just still average, <laughs> you know. There's all this hype before the season starts, like nobody's gonna be able to beat them because you know they got that guy. And then he just uh, is still that guy.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that, that he does. He does have a long way to go. He can have a really decent career, but you can tell he's still got that learning. He's still got that NBA learning curve. And as you mentioned before, some people like college over the NBA. Could you agree with me? The NBA game is just totally different. I mean, it's just the most highly skilled players in the league. I think it's better than college. That's just me. I've always thought the NBA is that. But I've realized as I've gotten older that the NBA is just a different game of basketball, basically.
1: You know, yeah I mean you know it just depends on what you like I mean I I would I would argue that the NBA has the most talented athletes in the world mm-hmm. I've had this debate with a lot of people but I think they're the most talented athletes in terms of comparing sports now my I am I'm probably uh, partial to the college basketball game because I like the teamwork and the camaraderie and the the energy of game day on campus and and uh, and that that it's more of a um, you know, a five-on-five game. The NBA is about spacing and speed, and basically, it's a two-man game over and over. You bring, you bring, you know, two defenders to the basketball, and then you play out of space. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's just a much different philosophy and a much different mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of talent, you can't find any more talent than that uh, than in the NBA. It's just, you know, depends on what you like. And a lot of times, you know, people hate on the NBA because they play so many games, so they don't always play as hard or defend as much in the regular season. Uh, but when you get down to the final four teams, maybe even the final eight teams in the NBA, I mean, it's, it is it uh, is it is alluring entertainment to watch. I mean, it's if you like sports, you'd have a hard time saying, um, man, this this isn't really, really, really good. It's hard to hate on it when it gets down to that point.
0: But also could you also agree though because the talent is so good. I mean, you, you got Carmelo, think about it like on the Blazers, Carmelo Anthony is toward the end of his career, but he's still a heck of a player along with Dame and McCollum. I mean, it's like you could just as a coach, you just draw up a play and pretty much it's almost automatic cuz they're just so skilled. So it's like you got to no, play no, no, no. different. You got to play differently in the NBA compared to where in college and maybe high school. Obviously, you don't have so much skilled players on the on the court.
1: No, uh, it's no doubt. So, I mean, we're we're spoiled because we get to watch it on every single media outlet at the tip of our fingers all day, every day. Right. But the reality is, if you take the 10 best college players every year, the first and second team All-American, the 10 best college players, only half of them even make it in the NBA and only two of them end up being, you know, uh, you know, l- legitimate uh, you know, guys, starters, mm-hmm. all-stars, stars, whatever you want to call it. But half of the college All-Americans every year don't even make it in the NBA. It's the, it's the elite of the elite. So, True. you know, I mean, and I think we just live in a world where we're so spoiled with technology that we lose sight of the reality of how good players are. It's just like, we, you know, we've had this conversation of, of the reality of how good you have to be to play in college from high school and that type of thing. It's just, it's just, there's, you know, what's my man say? There's levels to this. Yeah, there's
0: <laughs> in the NBA, there and there's levels to the NBA even. Think like Bobo, you know, he's at a lower level than maybe a Jamal Murray or a Jokic, you know, there's, there's different levels even to the NBA. And you got to be a special, special talent to get to that, that upper echelon level, like where a LeBron James or Dwayne Wade is actually at. Moving on. The 76ers and the Celtics, this this is another yawner, I think, because Ben Simmons is out, and it looks like the 76ers are not even trying to play. It's just the Celtics, I think this is going to be a sweep. This is where I wish, Darren, maybe you can agree with me, they need to go back to the 5 Uh, Game first rounders because this one should be a 3-0 sweep you know thanks you thank you for participating like you know a ponderosa you know gift certificate they used to give back in the day but you're out of the playoffs because this one is like you said like the other series the nets series this is boring
1: yeah this one's probably even been uh well i felt like the Nets series is boring this one has been frustrating to me and the reason why it's frustrating is because every year for the last three years we hear about how much better the 76ers are gonna be this year and every year they find a way to not be better whether it's <laughs> chemistry issues or injuries or whatever it is I mean they're just they're just never better no. uh, so they' they're always disappointing and, and they're kind of Jekyll and Hyde because they'll tease you with that one great game and you're like oh okay okay that you know there's a light at the end of the tunnel and then they lose five in a row so Philadelphia is just a frustrating group for me um, which which pains me because I'm really close with ben simmons and his family and that type of thing so i just i'd like to see them succeed but they're a frustrating group and then on the flip side of it i i, I almost have the same uh uh issues with boston because boston has probably the best uh tandem of young wings in the nba i mean those guys are so talented and their and their future's so bright and they, they just they can really play but i think about couple of years ago when Boston was like legitimately playing for a championship you know they're in the Eastern Conference finals it's coming down the stretch and they're and like like wow they could win this and they could go win a championship um, they come up a little short and you're like man these guys are on the precipice of being really, really good. And then they trade for Kyrie Irving and it's one excuse and one issue and one injury and one chemistry problem after another. And then they get get rid of Kyrie Irving and you know and and we're at the same spot. Like like they, they they've digressed. They've digressed. They got so close to the top of the mountain and then they like fell back two steps and for like the last two and a half years they've been sitting on that third step. And so, so, you know, I'm not trying to compare Boston and Philly because Boston's clearly better than Philly. But to me, they're both extremely frustrating because when you watch them, when you read about them, when you think about them, you'll want more and they don't give it to you.
0: Basically, the battle of potentials. You know, trust the process with the 76ers. They, you know, l- l- all those years of blowing stuff, and then
1: yeah, I you, I used to work for a coach, and he used to say, "If ifs and buts were candy and nuts, we'd all have a merry Christmas." And those are two franchises of ifs and buts. Because uh, if, if this happened, if that, you know, if and but, but it never does.
0: Right. And, you know, they ended up drafting Markel Fultz over Jason Tatum, who's been torching them. And it, you, you, you're right. And Ben Simmons, I don't know if he's the guy. I, I really don't think they're going to do anything with Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons. One of them has to go. And you're going to have to stick with someone and build around them. Ben Simmons has not been committed to working on his jump shot. You know, he wants to date the Jenners or the Kardashians or whatever, doing all this <laughs> fishing and you know, like I said, talented player. But as, you, as we've mentioned before, there's levels to this game in the NBA. And if you want to be the elite of the elite, you're gonna have to have almost like the Mamba mentality. You got to be locked in. And well, die. and
1: and, they, and they've sort of tried everything. And unfortunately, the coach is probably gonna take the downfall. Yeah. Uh, but you know, they, they've tried everything. They, they've tried resting Embiid. They've tried playing Embiid full out. They've tried. Uh, rest in, you know, load management with Simmons. They've tried playing him full out. They've tried Simmons at the point. They've tried him off the ball. You know, um, there's just, you know, they had uh, um, uh, uh, Butler in the mix. You know, there was chemistry issues then. So there's just, you know, it just, it hasn't come together. And normally that has something to do with the players, but unfortunately the coach is going to take the downfall and they're going to hire another coach. And if that coach don't get it done, then they'll get rid of Elton Brand or I think he's the GM and, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and then it's just this revolving door process until the players take some ownership and say, look, we're going to get this done. And I just don't know that they had that leadership or that dynamic personality on that roster. Um, you know, m- maybe the glue guy uh, a couple years ago would have been J.J. Reddick and then they moved him. So yeah. um, so I don't know. I, I just don't have much, much. Uh, I don't have very high hopes for, for them over the next coming years. I think they're just always going to be that average Fifth fifth to eighth place team in the East,
0: right? And then you know Embiid will get to the point where he's going to be older and more injury prone, and then you've fired the GM, the coach, stuck with the players too long, and then you're back to where you're just straight trash, basically.
1: Yeah, we've seen it with the New York Knicks over and over and over ever since going back to Jeff Van Gundy and Patrick Ewing.
0: Yeah, pretty much, they, you know, that revolving wheel. But then the fans keep going to the games at, at Madison Square Garden at the Mecca. So uh, we'll see what happens. They only got the eighth pick this year as well. They got screwed in the lottery draft. Last series, <laughs> Mavericks, Clippers. Series is tied 1-1, but people are talking about Luka, Luka, Luka.
1: Well, the referees won the first game because the the, the Mavericks were going to win that game. Uh, I feel 100% confident the Mavericks were going to win that game. Luca had it going. Prazingis was doing well. And the Clippers just didn't have the juice that night. Um, So the Clippers got a gift. Well, can Uh, I say
0: this? Can I say maybe not a gift? Maybe they used a veteran move. I think with Prazingis out... I think the veteran the veterans on the Clippers realized something and they closed the game out on them. I don't I, I understand Zinga shouldn't have been ejected, but I think basically there was an opportunity and the Clippers took advantage of it, which with I think if the Clippers were a younger team, that wouldn't have happened and I think Mavericks would be up two O. If this was a 76ers versus the Mavericks kinda of dynamic, the Mavericks would have still won that game. But I think with the Clippers having their playoff experience and their older players, they took advantage of a situation.
1: Yeah, there's there's no doubt about it. The the um, the Mavericks weren't mentally tough enough right. to overcome right. that that emotional blow mm-hmm. uh, of losing of losing one of their guys. But you know the Clippers are a better team. They're tougher. They're mm-hmm. they're uh, probably better coached and and they got some more tools and depth. But you know Doncic is uh, is, is super exciting and everybody loves him. And um, you know he he gets some things done. And you know I'm tired of hearing the the the, the, the overhype though that he's the best. Best foreign player ever to play in the NBA, and he's a top five player in the NBA. He's not—he's not neither of those, nor close to either of those yet. I mean, he, he can't guard my grandma, uh, and um, you know, he—he he, still—he still has some careless turnovers. But he's a lot of fun to watch, and he, and he can really play. And he does a lot of things. He's one of the more skilled guys we've seen in the last several years. And I'm not saying he can't be those things, um, but he's just not yet. You know he's not he's not there on the defensive end he's not there on the mental mental end yet but he's he's a lot of fun man and he's gonna he's gonna sell a lot of tickets and Mark Cuban's a super smart businessman so it's gonna be another deal like Dirk Nowitzki where he's gonna spend his whole career there and he's gonna be there fifteen to twenty years if if, if health permits um, and and he will go down as as a, a great
0: yeah and and Luca's only twenty one as we mentioned before there's levels to this and right now he's at a, a level where he's better than the average NBA player but as we know as he matures into his game and into his body the game the game will get better for him and it, it will be scary just just hopefully he doesn't get any injuries but we'll see I mean he's on a scary path to be one of the greatest uh, European players or one of the greatest players in the leagues I, I like his game as well but you're right right now there are some some things that he needs to really work on uh Kawhi Leonard had 35 points the other night though that it pretty much helped them. Uh, win. It's kind of interesting. Reggie Jackson leaves the Pistons, and now he's he's not hurt anymore. You know, you, I like that dynamic sometimes in the NBA when you're all off a loser. Somehow you get healthy.
1: Yeah. If you if you, if you can't if you can't get traded, you make them trade you.
0: Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you're not available, that's been yeah. the that's been the playoffs. Uh, We'll talk a little high school, but your thoughts on the NBA draft real quick. I've lost interest in the NBA draft. I I almost think to the point it's almost pointless because some of these players don't really make an impact for the teams. Or you're getting some, you know, project player. Uh, Minnesota gets the number one pick with Golden State getting the number two pick. Your thoughts? And and really, is there any dynamic players in this draft that can really help a team?
1: You know, um, so it was. Yeah, yes, a couple of things there. So I think you know, Minnesota won the lottery because obviously they didn't have the worst team, so they, they got to be excited. And Golden State and some of them other guys kind of missed out. Um, you know, this this is not a very strong draft this year. No, uh, you know, uh, it's it's just not. There's you know, there's there's obviously there's always one or two guys that come in and make an impact. A lot of times in drafts like this, it's the guys that won't be talked about. Um, I think there's a lot of risk, a lot of risk in the top, the top of the draft. You know, I, I really like Obi Toppin. He's got the size and skill, but the reality is he's coming from a mid-major program. Um, and there's, you know, there's guys that have made that leap, but there's also a lot of guys, you know, when they show out, you think of, like, the Adam Morrisons or the Jimmer Ferdets, They show out at Gonzaga, and they get to the league, and they're not league players. Now, you can also make the argument of there's, there's the Dame Lillards and the C.J. McCollums who came from even the smaller schools. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying one way or the other. I really like Toppin, but it's a risk. Um, and then, you know, Anthony Edwards is a good player, but he's a six five guard, uh, you know, who really had a couple great games in the preseason and then was just average the rest of the year out of Georgia. You know, you look at James Wiseman another risk from from Memphis he's very raw of course he's long he's seven foot one he mm-hmm. finishes around the rim he checks all the boxes on paper but he played a couple games in college before he became ineligible mm-hmm. um he's basically still a kid so a huge huge risk and there's always risk of that guy, guys that big not developing and also being injury prone you know we already know Lamelo ball he can't shoot um he's got some baggage with his family and personal life and that kind of thing but he has that wow factor, and he's really long. I mean, he's almost like Penny Hardaway-type point guard size. Mm-hmm. He's 6'7", six, 6'8", six, and really thin. Um, went over and played in a, in a, in a pretty poor league, um, <laughs> pretty poor league, a professional league, but, you know, super, super, super raw. And then, you know, you got – and then you're going to have – because of Luka Doncic, there's a guy that's been playing in Israel. He's a 6'9", nine small forward, named um, uh, Denny Ajiva. I think it is. I think it's Denny Ajiva. And he's really skilled around the rim, but he's skinny. He's not very strong. He's not very tough. And he wants to play on the wing. So he's ambidextrous and he finishes and and does a lot of things, but he's not a great shooter. And he's not super physical, not super tough. But I see him getting overdrafted this year because the draft is weak. Well, and, and plus the NBA is a copycat league. They all yeah. they, there's no there's no creativity or imagination in the league. Someone someone gets it right, everyone else follows it. So because Doncic is doing so well, you know, I think this guy will get overdrafted. Um, so you know, those are sort of probably five of the top seven or eight prospects. Uh, I kind of was just rattling off off the top of my head. And you know, w- would you bet your career on any of them to change your franchise? No, I don't know what I thought was going to happen. As someone's going to package a couple players and the first pick or the second pick and try to make a run at Devin Booker and trade for him. And I really thought Phoenix um, a month ago would have been really interested in that. Uh, But as we alluded to earlier, the fact that Phoenix had such a strong run and they seemed, it might be fool's gold, but they seemed to kind of figure it out and get it and win eight in a row in the bubble and 10 out of their last 11. Now I'm thinking that Phoenix is going to be less likely to want to make that move. Um, I can see the Lakers going after Devin Ball because they need a younger shooter that can do a little bit more than just shoot. But I can also see them top three picks, them top three lottery picks, trying to go after Devin Ball, especially Minnesota. Um, it doesn't make sense for Golden State unless they were going to move somebody, but especially Minnesota. Um, but I just don't, if I'm Phoenix now, I I just don't think they'll do it. Where I literally thought a month ago Devin Booker was gone.
0: Hmm. And then thinking about it, Golden State could probably bring in a younger guy and just Groom them into their culture because really think about it. If, if they lost their top two players, Golden State would be in the playoffs if, if Steph and, and Clay didn't get hurt. So, them, sure, it, there's, there's no doubt.
1: And a couple of years ago, they talked about moving when Durant was coming. They talked about moving Clay Thompson. So that leads me to believe he's not untouchable. Um, if, if 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 you know Clay Thompson got moved and they could get Devin Booker with the second pick and Clay and and maybe some something else, you know, um, you know that, that's a that could possibly happen, but. You, you just never know I think clay is now since the last time he was talking about trading has been so important um, that um, you know I don't know I don't I don't know if I do that or not but it's it's interesting to see what will happen you know I talked about Morris being my my favorite uh, player off the bench you know clay Thompson is by far my my favorite um, Robin in the NBA if you will my favorite second best player I mean he's just He's just so, so efficient, does so many great things, and just a stand-up team guy. But, you know, when you go from first to last, of course there's injuries, but when you're sitting in your office every day as a president, an owner, and a general manager, and a coach, you know, it almost plays mental tricks on you. Like, hey, do we need to be doing something different? Do we need to be doing things, or do we just sit there and be patient and wait to get healthy? And that's a that's a that's a tough game to play mentally, um, when that's your job and career and livelihood. So it'll be interesting to see if Golden State just sits back and waits for everyone to lace them back up, or if they make any moves and changes to the to the dynamic of the roster.
0: Yeah, that'll be crazy. It'll be interesting to see what happens with the with the draft. I didn't know Lamelo Ball played in a poor league. They kind of left that out. They just showed his highlights. But I was wondering how good that league was.
1: Yeah, I mean it's 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 very, in my opinion, it's very underwhelming. You know, if you're getting paid to do a job, you're a pro. You're getting paid to do a job, but it's a very underwhelming league. Um, I can tell you this: I had a player uh, who played at a very low end Division One for me in the Big South Conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, or sorry, not the Big South, the uh, Southland Conference, the conference that has Stephen F. Austin mm-hmm. and. And he was our second best player, mm-hmm. and he went over to that very same league and played seven years and averaged twenty points a game for seven years. And he only averaged about thirteen points a game in the Southland Conference as a senior in college. So you know, there's there's always you know, like I said, there's always a hard, hard comparison. But yeah, it's not. I mean, he's not he's not playing against anybody that's uh, that that that's uh, that's changing his game over there.
0: Mm now moving on to high school front, uh talk a few locals as well in the this basketball segment with you thank you for your time a few guys that signed um you mentioned cole McWinnie signed with hillsdale that's actually a really good solid d2 program
1: oh i mean hillsdale is is one of the best academic academic combination schools in the midwest um and they're in probably the second-best Division II conference in the country, in my opinion. I mean, you have multiple teams that have won or competed for the national championship with Grand Valley and Ferris State and Finley and that type of thing. And, uh, and, and Hillsdale kind of considered the Harvard of that league. High-end academics, a um, couple hours from Toledo, or not even a couple hours, hour and a half, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and a great coach in John Tharp. He's had a lot of success. Heck, he took Toledo uh, it's a double overtime mm-hmm. uh, a year or so ago in an in, uh, exhibition game. But he's just a terrific guy. It's a terrific school. And I think it's a really good fit for Cole McWhinney and the, and the, and the family coming out of uh, Toledo Christian. I've known known the McWhinney family a long, long time. And I've known uh, Coach Starp and the Hillsdale group a long, long time. And I, I really think it's a great match and, and, and happy, happy for everyone involved.
0: Actually, I called that game when they took him to triple or double overtime. Actually, it was like seven years ago.
1: Yeah, oh. Tharp can really coach. And and he's actually had two or three um, assistants at Hillsdale go on to get um, head coaching jobs and do well. And, and, you know, that don't happen very often where D2 assistants go get head jobs and then just, you know, keep it moving. So,
0: mm. And then some other players, we got Jemiah Neal. Uh, he's getting some offers, but Claron Hornby got, uh, actually committed to Kent State.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I was actually talking to his coach, Travis Lewis, a couple days ago, and he's like, Darren, you won't believe how much better Claron's gotten. I have not seen him personally since his last game of the high school season. Mm -hmm. And at at that point, you know, he he was a D2 player at best, and he has just made leaps and bounds of improvement in the last four or five months by accounts of everybody I've talked to, high school coaches, scouts, college coaches, And, uh, you know, Kent State got on him quick and early. And Mm -hmm. Kent State is historically one of the best programs in the MAC for basketball. Mm -hmm. Um, Coach Senderoff and company, I'm sure, will do a terrific job with him. And he's just going to continue to get better. He's so young. He's so young. But he's he's gotten more aggressive and more agile. They say he's been great with his hands. He's getting his body more in line. So, you know, I think that's an an awesome decision to commit early and, 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 and secure up your future as a full ride scholarship in the Mac. And uh, that'll be not only fun to see how he does for the Knights this year, but uh, as he continues to develop, but uh, always nice, um, you know, seeing, seeing guys when they're in the Mac, but they don't necessarily end up at Toledo or Bowling Green and they come back home to compete in those, in those games. That's always fun to see.
0: And then also I believe Stephen Coleman committed to Siena.
1: Yeah, Stephen Coleman, uh, you know, a a wiry athlete uh, was at uh valley and then transferred to rogers and you know they were having a nice little run this year with with all the guys they had over there and um you know sienna's a a small division one school on the east coast and there's there's local ties because one of their assistants is bob simon bob simon was an assistant at university of toledo understand joplin for several years and he's always sort of recruited in this area and kept relationships and ties uh-huh. to Toledo but he hasn't gotten a lot of players out of here but he's always putting a lot of work and a lot of effort so seeing uh, seeing him have the success of getting a, a 419 guy and, and and seeing Coleman and his family being able to lock up a free education and go play division one uh, will, will, will be neat so uh, you know that happened pretty quickly as well they offered and I think within a couple of weeks certainly less than a month they made the commitment and um, so that but that is the connection if people say well how the heck did he get out there on the east coast of Siena is uh, one of the assistants used to be at University of Toledo.
0: Oh, also, Ottoville's Josh Thorbin commits to Finley. I don't know if you know who he is. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I, I
1: I don't. I have honestly I have no idea. Um but you know Finley is a, a really strong D2 program and they recruit in the Toledo area a lot. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure he's a he's a nice player and actually then he would become a will become a rival of Cole McWinn because they'll play each other in league play.
0: Okay. Yeah, and I'm 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 now looking at some of these these uh uh Uh, the 20 now we're looking at the 2023s and stuff people are doing a lot of showcases and stuff now because of the the corona it has has it hurt a little bit with the recruiting
1: well it, it it hurt if you're an unknown player or it hurt if you're a player that was trying to play your way into some attention um but you know it certainly changed the dynamic but they still had a recruiting period and they've still had some events and that kind of thing but the college coaches have had to do a lot more phone and film and video work and and I think, you know, consequently, um, some of the recruiting processes have been easier and shorter because like McWinney and like uh, uh, Coleman and, and even Hornbeek, you know, guys aren't guys aren't taking the risk to wait around and see how they do their senior year. They're getting one or two or three offers and they're making a decision mm-hmm. where a lot of times guys kind of drag their feet and drag <laughs> it out and they lose offers and they're waiting for more and, and they want to see what they can play themselves into. Um, but I think it's sort of helped the overall process for, for guys who are going to get recruited, it's helped them for the guy that's on the cusp or on the fringe and maybe not known and, and has to have a couple good events. Um, you know, then that's been a little harder because they haven't had as much opportunity, but the number of scholarships hasn't changed. So those scholarships going to be filled one way or the other. It's just uh, you know a little harder for them guys that weren't quite known yet. Um, and it's going to put a little more pressure on the college coaches to get out and do their job. I mean, to be honest, I mean, there's a lot of college coaches who, who, I don't know how do you say it. They just don't work. Or they, you know, and they rely on the, they rely on these scouting services and these, you know, they rely on these internet bloggers to tell them who they should recruit. Well, now you're going to have to get out there and, and go do some of your own d- due diligence and evaluation and be right because you're going to have to do it during the high school season a little bit this year.
0: Which I never really understood because you're the coach and you know what fits your style or what play should fit you. I never, you know, some of these scouting services. They do a pretty decent job, but let's face it. We, you know, and I know that maybe there's a couple kids that get hyped up because they may, they build a relationship with the parent. They want to help the kid out, and maybe they might say they're a level higher than what they really are. So, as a coach, especially you know, this is a job at the college level where you're trying to feed your family and you need to get players to win games. If you you shouldn't be shocked if you start to lose your job because you're being lazy.
1: Well, we could talk about that for hours. That's a whole other <laughs> That's topic. The topic but, it is, but, but yeah, the reality is, is why are you counting on someone who, on paper, is supposed to be less skilled at your job than you? And what I mean by that, what I mean by that, if you got hired as a college coach or you were a college player or you worked your way up to be a college coach, but then you're gonna you're gonna put all your stock into a, 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 a writer or a scout or a blogger who had no barriers of entry, by the way, who can just wake up tomorrow and say, I have a scouting service. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, that, that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And now don't get me wrong. I'm not hating on or disrespecting. There's some uh,
0: good ones out there, but there's also some shisty ones. Well,
1: and- but that's in, that's in any industry, Derek. But the reality is these people, they, they do provide a service. They provide information. They provide a connection point between the colleges and the players and the families that in certain times of the year you can't do legally by NCA rules. So, So there's a value add there. So I'm not discrediting what those folks do. But what I'm discrediting more so is the is the is the college professionals who rely so heavily on that because it's easier. It's a path of least resistance and you can even take it up a level like, you, you know, think about college athletic directors, how hard it is to get a college athletic director job. And if you're the athletic director at a college, you think you would have a, a keen idea if you had an opening, who the best two or three prospects for your philosophy and your university and your mindset to go hire as your next head coach in any sport but they don't they they pay someone 50 grand to hire a search firm or 100 Mm -hmm. grand to hire a search firm to tell them the three people they should interview which makes no sense to me it's a total disrespect if I was an athletic director and I was told to go hire a search firm as opposed to making you know doing my own due diligence and doing my own job I mean but that's just the way I think I'm pretty old school and you know prideful of my preparation and my work and that kind of thing. But there's no way I'm hiring a search firm and there's no way I'm signing a player off of a scouting service uh, only's um, uh, recommendation without doing my own homework.
0: But didn't it hurt though this year with the quiet period? Especially for D one, D two, it's a lot different seeing someone live than watching them on Baller TV or something. And I, I'll tell you this: I, I subscribed to Baller TV because I wanted to watch a few kids that I trained. because you're it's, a baller. <laughs> but it's it, it let's face it, 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 it's not the best. I don't know if you watch Baller TV, you can't some of the on the on the lesser known courts, the video's not great. You can't see the kids, and I don't know how coaches can recruit. And you're watching it through video, and it can't even keep up with the action. It's like you have to be live. So that had to put a kink in stuff.
1: It's hard. It's hard. Um, you know, it's hard because, one, you never know the quality of the film, as you said, and who's filming it. I, you always love it when plays are conveniently missed by the filmer. Um, you can't see a lot of things that I like to watch, the bench, the mm-hmm. interaction with the crowd, interaction with the coaching. Yep. You can't see all that kind of stuff. Plus, the the it's hard to gauge the true speed of the game. Yep. That's why... That's why when people watch the NBA, they, everyone thinks they can play in the NBA. But no. when you're live court side, the speed is so much different. And it's the same when you're evaluating um, the speed of film and the speed of being there live. Um, you, you know, you see a lot more things. But uh, the one thing about it is, I guess, if everyone's held to the same uh, parameters or everyone has the same variables to work with, at least in this case in point, you know, it is what it is, an equal playing field. But there's no, no question um, live uh, evaluation is much different than you know uh, uh film or streaming or whatnot and it's you know as you know i've scouted many years in the nba and the nba right now is considering uh eliminating or certainly way cutting back live scouting and that's what i've done is courtside live scouting and so it'll be interesting um you know if, if that gets pushed all to digital media or how that's gonna work
0: no that'll suck i mean you gotta have live. i've learned i've learned that lesson as a coach this year that before because in, you know in college you can't go live scouts you gotta watch on the film but in high school we had to mix it up a little bit and it was like whoa this is way different than watching someone just on film you get a better feel for it so that, that, that's one lesson i've learned as you, as you grow as a coach you always learn something uh, last thing what can a player do if they're not on the radar and this their senior year but they still want to at least get recruited do they go to these showcases do they have to show out their senior year what 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 is it
1: well, I think I'd go back and if it was me right now today, I'd go back and get my, my best game of my junior year and, I'd, and I'd, I'd, I'd take two quarters of it, not the whole game, but I'd take two, the two best quarters and I'd put them on a, put them on a DVD and I'd, I'd call the 50 schools within 150 miles of my home that I was interested in and I'd introduce myself on the voicemail and then I'd send a follow-up email and then I'd also send my DVD and the package in the mail and then I'd wait uh, two weeks and then I'd call and follow up with another voicemail and I'd follow up with another email and then anyone who gave me any interest, I'd jump in my car and I'd drive down there and ask if I can watch a workout or tour campus, and um, and you kind of force the relationship of getting some someone to know you. Um, you know, if you're a good enough player, you got to be realistic with your expectation. You you can't you can't call Duke if you should be playing you know, somewhere else. Uh, But, um, but, but I think that that's one way to get your name out there and and, and have your high school coach or your summer league AAU coach or whatever it may be, follow up with a phone call as well. And, you know, it's about presenting your name out there, but, you know, showcases are, are, it is what it is because you're paying, you're paying for someone that we already talked about that may or may not be credible to give an opinion of your game. And, you know, so ultimately you can share that same you can share that same opinion about yourself or with your high school coach or your AAU coach to a college coach just the same. So, um, you know, nothing against showcases and that kind of thing, but they're not the answer to everything. A lot of times they're more so money-making opportunities for someone on the other end of the spectrum. Um, But, you know, and then ultimately you'd be out there working on your game so when the opportunity comes about that, you know, you can play. Because what I see a lot of times this time of year or what's been going on this COVID of everyone complaining about how they're not getting recruited well, if you're not getting recruited, it's because you couldn't play well enough before the COVID. Right. So when the COVID ends, you're not just going to all of a sudden get recruited because you went to a showcase. If you can't play, you can't play. So, uh, you know, you got to get out there and work on your game as well and be, be good enough to, to add value. You got You think of a coach as a CEO of a company. Mm-hmm. And, and you need that CEO to hire you for his company to make his company successful to make his company profitable to make his company, you know, provide great products. It's the same thing as a coach. You got to give that coach a reason to hire you for his team to help the team be successful, help the team win, help the team, you know, uh, do what they're trying to do. And, and you can't just talk about that. You got to you got to be about it and you got to make someone believe in you.
0: Yeah, don't try to hit up Clemson when you're when your talent level might be on Concordia or a Capital level, which is nothing wrong with those schools, but as you said before, you got to be realistic. Darren, thanks so much for calling. What's up next for you, man? Because once again, everyone's living day by day here with this corona.
1: Yeah, man. So you you just have no idea. You have no idea what's next in the in the very short term. I'm going to take my mom to lunch mm-hmm. and then uh <laughs> and <laughs> that's then, very then, short term. Yeah, in a very short time, I'm 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 up in Michigan today, so I'm taking Mama Bear to lunch and. And then uh, and then I'm doing a little boating uh, this evening with a couple friends, so oh. it will be a be a nice relaxed day, which they don't come enough. So I'm gonna take advantage of that work life balance today.
0: Wow! So you're going doing a little bit of boating today. Wow, Darren, that's you're living the life, man. You you are the coach. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate
1: you, D. Man, have a great have a great rest of your weekend. Yeah, Thanks you, for having me on. Always a blessing.
0: Yeah, you too. And hopefully we'll talk to you in maybe a couple months. Talk about the finals, and hopefully we have a high school season. We'll see you back on BCSN.
1: Yeah, good possibility.
0: All right, man, take it easy. All
1: right,
0: bye now. That was Darren Cone, the coach, giving us an hour, a solid hour. I think that's the longest I've had someone on a segment by themselves of just good stuff. But we haven't talked to him in months, you know, with that coronavirus stuff going on. Anyway, living day by day as it is. If you missed the show, we're always on Saturdays, 11 to 1 on 88.3 WXUT. But if you did miss the show, we do have our digital platforms. As you, as we have mentioned, we are on um, Twitter, make sure you try to give us a follow. As we are Afr Sports Show, um, basically that's what we are. If you look, look, if you actually look us up, look back up on the profile. A, yeah, Afr Sports Show is our Twitter name. We're also WHT's. After further review, with the picture of Frank and the horse's head on um, iTunes and also on SoundCloud. Which reminds me, I got to get on SoundCloud and post some of the segments from the week before. Once again, thanks to Darren Cohn for calling in. We'll have more after further review after this on 88.3 WXUT.